Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm your other host, Dungeon Master Neil, aka Joke Maniac. Today we have a great episode lined up. We yes. are talking about campaign long dungeons. Dungeons that are big enough to encompass an entire campaign. I know, Neil, this is something that you are quite familiar with as you uh, have been running a campaign long dungeon for over a year now? Mm hmm. Definitely. Which one is it again that you are running? The Emerald Spire Super Dungeon from Paizo with 16 levels and 16 different authors. So it is <laughs> pretty different every level that they get into. It is a mega, mega dungeon. To help us discuss this idea and how, as Dungeon Masters, we can make these dungeons engaging to our players, we have none other than Mike Merles joining us, the lead designer for Dungeons & Dragons. So we've got a great interview with him mm -hmm. coming up. Stay tuned for that. But before we get into the meat, Neil, we have some five-star reviews. So the first one we have is from Zargo Games, and it is, of course, five stars, entitled, The Best Audio Source for Dungeon Master Learning. I found this podcast about a year ago when I was starting to really dig into Dungeon Mastering for 5th edition. While it is a system agnostic podcast, their advice for DMing is invaluable and has inspired a lot of my creations and led me to think of things differently, for the better. That's good. I like that there's that caveat. <laughs> if you're a Dungeon Master, this podcast is a must listen. Also, someone found this uh, to be a helpful review. So there you go. And hey. I hope it helped you. So thank you, Zargo Games. <laughs> I know you're Thanks, following everyone. us on Twitter. I've seen you. <laughs> uh, our next one comes from Gallican. Hey, we might hear from him later on in the episode. And it is entitled, Get Ready to Roll 20 on Intelligence Checks. Gallican says, Been listening to you guys for a long time and finally manned up and got on iTunes to leave you guys a review. Yes, thank you, Gallican. If you listeners need help getting your stories going, look no further. The folks on this podcast have got you covered. As someone who loves to DM, there was a lot on here that I didn't even realize I was doing and that needed some adjustment. You guys helped me clean up my games tremendously and also helped me point my newbie DM friends to a place where they could get some fantastic third-party help. Keep it up, guys. Hashtag Blockheads Unite. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Gallican, for that awesome review. Yes, let's see that hashtag yeah. become a viral sensation over the next couple of weeks. Hashtag blockheads unite. Yes. But with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. Well, welcome to the meat. Today we have none other than Mike Merles, lead designer of Dungeons and Dragons at Wizards of the Coast with us. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on our show. Awesome. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. Before we jump into the meat and the discussion that we're here to have, which is campaign long dungeons, we, as we do with all of our guests, have a couple interview questions and we want to just kick it off with just that simple question of, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, I'm the uh, lead designer on D&D. 
my official job title is some like senior manager of like uh, design and development or something like that. But basically, what I do at work is coordinate uh, the creative the creative team on D and D. We create the ongoing storylines every year. We do a new story, so I organize that creation. It's actually Chris Perkins who does the actual writing and game design, but I more lead things in terms of like coordinating everything that's happening, leading like the writer's room, things like that, getting the creative stuff going, and also do a lot of coordination between what we're doing with uh, D&D, the role-playing game, and D&D like in, in video games and other, other licensed games. You know, kind of figure out how do all the stories tie together, and how do we create things so that they have the most use both for dungeon masters and for people who are making D&D licensed games. You know, it, it, one of the things that it's most enjoyable part of my job is like we we will go back into like D and D lore and you know like take monsters yeah. or take characters and locations and sort of not necessarily try to change them but sort of update them. You're like, what can we do to like make them more interesting for a modern gaming audience? So a lot, in a lot of ways, my job would be sort of picking here's what we're going to focus on, and then I unleash the really talented writers and game designers we have here to to implement the, the those concepts. Yeah, I know. I know with Volos, that was just such a cool thing to get a, a different take on a monster's manual that just really dived into the lore. I really like that deeper intake to the lore, and I'm excited just to see. And I know, I know, you know what's coming down the line <laughs> for a couple of years now, but you won't you won't tell us. But I'm excited to see what Wizards releases with a deeper look into all that rich lore that we've seen over the years and having kind of bringing that lore together too with all those all the edition releases and different settings it's interesting stuff yeah I'm, I'm glad you like Volos and I'm really excited it's it's done very well for us both you know people you know, a lot of people are buying it which is always nice <laughs> but it's also it's nice to see it get good reviews because that was kind of like a test of you know will this new approach sort of it's not really a new approach it's more transitioning to an approach we've used in the past Mm -hmm. um and it's been great to see it really resonate with people and so because for me i have to admit uh developing monsters is the most enjoyable part of my job (laughs) i I love that's your favorite working on on creatures (laughs) yeah that that is the the best like writer's room of like you know memories i have are when we're like working through a list of monsters and the Mm -hmm. challenge is always just like how do you like let's take what we have what we've said about this monster and let's build on it to make something that's really it's very distinct when you have a creature that on the surface you know you could say, oh, this is a, this creature's a guardian of nature. But then you're like, well, why isn't that just a treant? Treants are kind of that role, too. So what we'll do is, you know, really try to find something distinct. And often it's taking what exists about the creature and turning it up. So yesterday hmm. uh, we had a meeting. We were talking about the Grey Render. If you remember the Grey Render from 3rd and 4th edition, it's this really big hulking monster. And its interesting piece of lore is that it can, like, sort of imprint on someone and follow them around. And so... One of the things I like doing, and this is, yeah, I don't know if we'll actually publish this, but this is the, I, I, one of the ideas we had was, well, what if this creature, this big, huge, powerful creature, it imprints on you, so it follows you around like a puppy dog, but because it's this big, monstrous creature, like, what if it actually is more trouble than it's worth? Like, when you meet the orcs, like, it beats up the orcs for you. You're like, oh, great, this this thing's awesome, this great <laughs> renders our friend. It just kicked the crap out of all these orcs. And then you're traveling on, and you come across the dwarven caravan, and it, kicks the crap out of the doors in the caravan because it wants to protect you. You're like, no, don't do that. Bad gray render, right? Like things like that. You're like, what can we do to make these things more distinct? So it's not and, and to throw curveballs at the players, right? So it's yeah. not just, oh, the gray render is friendly. It's like, no, it's protective. And it doesn't always understand because its intelligence is three. 
it doesn't really understand the difference between the dwarves who are approaching you to like to, to talk or to trade and the orcs that are charging at you to fight you. You know, and, and it's about how can you make those story moments really you know come to life or give a dungeon yeah. master like a fiendish new tool to throw at the players. Yeah, in there lies a lot of great role playing opportunities with that creature and like yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get to ask the second question, the one that you could definitely have a ton of answers or potentially no answers. Uh, (laughs) Is there anything you are currently working on right now? And I will add the necessary caveat of that you can tell us. Well, I appreciate the caveat. No the, problem. Um, so we, I, I will start by something I can definitely talk about. Like we just shipped Tils the Yawning Portal. That's yes. a collection of seven classic dungeons. So really excited about that, and I'm really happy to see people excited about it. You know, like whenever one of our philosophies is when we do products, we're trying to do things that you haven't seen before as a D and D fan. Which is, on one hand, it's fun because we get to try to do new, new things. But on the other hand, it's like nerve-wracking because like, that new thing, it may have been never done before for a reason because nobody wants it. So, <laughs> so, but it's been good to see people, especially, you know, we have a lot of people coming into D&D who are new to the game. So an adventure like Forge of Fury, you know, which came out for 3.0 when it first launched, that was 17 years ago. So for me, I'm in my 40s. 17 years ago feels like, oh, that was like last month, right? But for someone who's in high school, like they weren't even maybe not even born yet when you know forge of fury came out so an adventure to me that's like oh that's a classic adventure you know i've seen, i've run it like multiple times someone who's in high school today playing D, they probably have never seen this adventure before so it's been cool to see that 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 was kind of the thinking behind it and that seems to be how it's playing out that both you know people have been playing D for a long time they get these adventures updated you know it's at least maybe hopefully at least one or not more they've run and remember fondly and for all our new players coming in this is kind of like you know imagine it's almost like if you have a band like Led Zeppelin or something like that and someone's you know they're they're 15 years old they just discovered them okay what's the first album you give them right like you don't give them the last Led Zeppelin you don't give them Coda you give them Led Zeppelin 4 right or you know if that's you know hey this is the classic one this is where you should start (laughs) and then eventually you know if you're like me when I was in high school I discovered Led Zeppelin eventually you buy all the albums but you know that's kind of like your first starting point so in terms of working on now, I, I can't really talk about products, but one of the things we are doing, and I mentioned this, you know, talk about the gray renders example, what we kind of do on a constant basis is go through, you know, piece of D&D lore. We have essentially a writer's room we set up. We meet like an hour or two a day and we just, we just crank through concepts. And sometimes we're doing that because we're like, hey, we have this really specific need. Like we might have like a, a, a licensed video game someone's working on and like, hey, we need some more undead monsters. Like we want to send the players to the Shadowfell. And there aren't enough really monsters in the monster manual to support that. Or it might be a, a, a role-playing game product we're working on where we're like, oh, well, let's do another monster book or something like that. So, like, right now we're working on some new monsters for a few various different reasons. I can't say why, but, you know, it's, it's you know, for different projects we're working on and different licensed games. But um, that's really what most of my day has been. We also have the Unearthed Arcana series, which was weekly. We're throwing out lots of new mechanics, people to play with. And right now we have a lot, we have feedback on almost everything. And we've been going through and check, looking at the feedback, seeing stuff that's scoring high, seeing stuff that's scoring low, trying to get into like why things are scoring high or low, and then kind of assessing now what 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 the the next step might look like for all that material. So so yeah, so that's kind of where we are right now. A lot of it is uh, you know obviously we have products coming out I can't talk about, but you know at, at this time of year a lot of it is there's usually like specific story holes we need to fill for different partners or for our own future stuff. So we're kind of like always creating new things or, or, or looking, you know, pulling stuff out of the vault and sort of dusting it off, maybe doing new art for it, concept art, and then kind of like, you know, 
projects like UA right now are sort of at the stage of like assessing like what that next step might look like. So <laughs> you had me at we're thinking about concepts and working on monsters because I'll <laughs> I'll buy a book even if it's a adventure module just for the couple monsters at the end that are new. Awesome. <laughs> and it is so good because I love making monsters. It's the most well, and that's the best the part thing. of the job. I'm like, oh, you, so you're having a great time right now if that's your <laughs> yeah. what you're working on currently because you just said yep. how much you love making monsters. Oh, yeah. All right, Mike, we have one more question for you. This one, you had no idea what Uh-oh. it was. You didn't know a surprise yeah. question was coming. It's the ambush. That's yeah, the ambush question. This one's from one of our Patreon members, our Silver Dragon Patreon Galakin asks this question to you. He says, okay. do you have a particular NPC voice that when you're dungeon mastering, you love to use, that it's your favorite? And if so, can you please demonstrate? Oh, a favorite one. Wow, that is... I do a lot of voices, some poorly, some badly. The, the worst, and I'm going to del- I'm, I'm stall a bit because I'm going to try to think of an example. Okay. That's, my most that's awkward fine. moment... like. <laughs> I, I sometimes like a lot of Americans when I think old like old time fantasy. I default to like a bad British accent. Yeah. And, and there was one, and there was one time I was running a table at a convention, and it turned out like the, these five people sat down, and they were all British. Like they were like students or something like that. This is like back in Connecticut. Oh, <laughs> it's like I can't, and I almost started doing That's the accent. Fantastic. Like no, I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, oh! I got it. Like, like a like a fawning merchant who's like, oh yes, yes. I, whatever, whatever you need, whatever you need. It, you know, right away, chop chop. You know, you know, whatever. Like, and and like, but he's always like a total. Like, he's the guy who just tried to get the characters killed. So a lot of his context, like you know, the players here, like oh, this this like this pirate captain just sent assassins to kill us. We we killed the assassins. They confront him, and he's like this halfling, like oh yes, mighty masters. What is it that that that, that you wish? I, you know, Captain Strong said we'll see to it that the wonders of the far west are laid bare before you, and that any treasures you seek shall be yours. Yeah, and you know, and then you get the, for me the punchline is this is the guy they know is this total jerk, powerful, just tried to kill them, and he's this total like you know we. Easily, like, oh, please, you know, like, uh, merchant <laughs> can't trust them at guy. all. Yep, <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, that, that's that's like the last one I think that ever really stuck in my mind. You know, there's always like the classic, like, hello, I am the big, strong kind of guy, but of I'm course. kind of nice sounding. It's supposed to be like, I am the big, strong, powerful, angry guy, you know, that <laughs> that, that kind of voice. How would a ogre sound if you were role playing an ogre? Let's let's hear the Mike Merle's ogre. Ogre, so if it's an ogre, smash! <laughs> but then there's also like the dopey friendly, yes, master, what? What is your bidding, right? And you know, bidding is like the most complex guy. We had to get some monsters out of you. I want. I, I'm oh. like, Mike. Mike's sitting there thinking how these monsters sound all the time. <laughs> no, we do. Right? And then, so if it's something like, um, like, a, like, oh, oh, I would do, uh, like a, like a kobold might be like, like this, yes, and it's, it's just we are just this followers of the worm. <laughs> it is he who we worship. We brook no violence in our lair. <laughs> Cross oh, not the dragon lords, then lest thy wishes to feel thy fury. <laughs> so that's another one. And you get to see me hunch over like a little kobold. So, But that's the fun of being a dungeon master, right? Oh, yeah. And I, you know what, Galakin, you have been severely rewarded because you just got more than one voice. <laughs> but the, un- the unfortunate thing for you guys as listeners is that only me and Neil were able to see Mike as he yes. was fully into it, like you just said, hunched over and just like completely acting. But Mike, thank you so much. That was a, that was a great answer. That was awesome. Awesome. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Or answers, I should say. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you, Galakin, for that yeah. question. Yeah. So let's talk about what we came to talk about here today. 
campaign long dungeons we're talking about dungeons that the entire campaign is all about getting through it getting to the center of the dungeon wherever it is that you're trying to get to for for whatever it is reason that you're trying to complete this dungeon and so one of the first things that i want to talk about and mike we really want to hear what you think about this because I mean, Tales of the Yawning Portal just came out. It is a book full of dungeons, some newer, some older, like like you were saying that people have played in for years. But you guys have just focused a lot on these huge dungeons. And so this whole idea of a dungeon that is big enough to have a whole entire campaign and like that's a huge dungeon. How do you make a dungeon that is one big enough? to encompass a whole campaign, but maybe even the more important question is how do you make a dungeon engaging enough to encompass a whole campaign? I think that's probably the harder one, that it's not just door after room after room with creature after creature, but making it a world in itself. Yeah, and I have to admit, like this is something that uh, I've tried a few times in campaigns, and I have yet to make it quite work the way I want it to. Hmm. Typically what I find is, so using my current campaign as an example, one of the things that you get when you're not using a big dungeon, and I'll kind of start there, because my current campaign is working pretty well because the players get to go to a lot of very different locations, or they get to kind of go off on quests like uh, that, that take them to places where they like, hey, we really want to go to this location. So my campaign is based in a city, like a lot of campaigns are, and the typical, you know, typically what happens is the players either hear about an enemy they want to go knock off, or, or I'll, I'll use an example. They, they killed a Hydra, and an alchemist in town told them, hey, if you trade me the Hydra blood, if you give me the Hydra blood and bring me the fur of this legendary yeti, I'll make for you a magic item. So the player's great. We want to go kill this yeti. We'll do the research. We'll go talk to people. We're going to go to the far north, hunt down this yeti. And that was like an entire two or three session adventure. The trick there is you have a wide space to play in, so players can go off in lots of different directions. On one hand, that's really you could say that's overwhelming because as a DM, you have to be ready for anything. On the other hand, it means as a DM, you have a lot of variety. You can, like, okay, this week, you know, I'll just narrate, you spend two months journeying to the north, and now you're in the far north, tundra adventure time. And then, like, right now, my players are in, are in a, a city that's sunk in, you know, it's like Atlantis, it's the bottom of the ocean. So now they're, they're underwater, you know, things like that. In a dungeon, you just have those passages, right? And it's very easy to feel like it's very, it's very claustrophobic. And I've actually found that when I was, you know, the last time I tried building a really big dungeon, it felt like way more prep than the campaign where, you know, my current campaign where the players are shooting off in different directions. Because in some ways, when you know, when you see exactly what all your options are in terms of travel, you always worry, like, well, what's the greatest distance the players can go in in any straight line for four hours of your session? (laughs) Well, you need to know where, yeah, you need to know where all that is. Where in a lot of cases in the, you know, for the campaign I'm running now, since it's a little more episodic, the player, okay, we want to go to the far north. Okay, great. I'm going to spend this week prepping. Okay, here's the little town that's like the port. And then here's this like ruined monastery. Then here's where this this legendary Yeti lives. Then here's these fey guys who oversee it. And then I'm going to make up a table of just random like things like a snowstorm or, or marauding, you know, uh, orcs that might come through the area. And then I'm ready to go. And the thing is, as the players do random stuff, the game's more fluid and I, I can easily pivot from one thing to the next. Where with the dungeon, like, I just have the map, and if the players come to an edge of the map where they're not sure, like, you know, 
if I haven't prepped it, I feel a lot more like I have an empty room staring at me instead of just being able to go, well, I can just roll on this table and see, you know, because the, the thing with the dungeon is that remains in place. It's a physical location. In the Far North Venture, I use an example, I can roll on my table and go, okay, a giant blizzard hits and it's driven by these three air elementals. Once that's done, that's gone. I don't have to account for it in my campaign anymore. That storm <laughs> happened, the players deal with it, it breaks up. But that room in the dungeon is still there, The players and the players might want to go back to it. And so that's why I kind of found conceptually is what made it difficult for me. And I'm still working through. You know, so I've tried this a few times. I've run the, the original Temple of Elemental Evil, and I've actually had a lot of success with that. I know a lot of people online aren't crazy about that adventure, but I actually like that it has these different factions and you know, the different elemental temples sort of vying against each other. And I've always had a lot of success like getting the players to get involved with the temples, turning them against each other. I'm also really lucky my players, are they're not really just kicking the door and fight stuff types of people. Hmm. My past few groups have been more like, hey, let's disguise ourselves as cultists. Let's like pretend we're coming into the dungeon to join this this cult, things like that. So it's not just to them this tactical, like, you know, SWAT team room to room. Because that's probably more where my play style rests, where I like the more hmm. role-playing and, you know, like, what's the creative approach to solving the problem rather than combat? But yeah, I have yet to really do it in a way that's satisfying. Now, I'm ten- I'm tinkering with something now where if you... I don't know if you've ever played some of the classic computer games from the 80s. There's one, um, Wizardry. It was kind of one of the first PC, you know, Apple II games that had, like, you, know, you made up characters, created a party, and went into a dungeon. There was an, actually an anime in Japan uh, based on the game, and the idea kind of is, you know, you have this dungeon, and at the bottom of the dungeon is this guy, who like this awful criminal, like he stole some artifact and he fled into the dungeon. So you have all these adventures going into the dungeon trying to track this guy down. Uh, and I thought I'd maybe doing something with that, where the dungeon's purpose, it isn't, it, it's, it's this hostile environment, and you have a very specific task, long-term task of find this person and get the artifact from them. But then the other adventuring parties kind of come into play, and then the dungeon itself can be really random, because it's not like you have all these people going through it, and it's this magical place. So, But yeah, I, I don't think I've run one yet that I've really been satisfied with, you know, other than Elemental Evil, which I've had, which I've had success with running that, I think, three times now in my, my, my dungeon mastering career. And I wonder if part of that is because, and I think that a lot of our listeners would relate to exactly what you just said of like like you were like oh the way that I like to play is by focusing a lot on like the role-playing aspect of it a lot of our listeners are dungeon masters who are very very intent about we love storytelling that's like their main goal and I think a, a lot of them have either players that are like that or are at the very least trying to help their players be more like that because in the end if you do have a bunch of players that are the kick in the door and just fight, and that is exactly the way that the their players like to play, I would almost say that building a campaign long dungeon for that kind of play group is a lot easier because it, yeah. it can be just a lot more simple of just like, well, why not just have tons of encounters? My players love the encounters, so I'll throw in a couple other things in between to make it not just room after room after room of encounters. But for a group that is more focused on role-playing, they're not going to want to have just constantly battling in a dungeon. Or at the very least, they're going to want battles to have more than just a roll to see if you hit or miss aspect. And there to be some sort of strategic formulation or just some sort of storytelling in combat as well. And that therein lies where I think it becomes a little bit more difficult is making there be a, a consistent role-playing aspect in a dungeon. 
Yeah. No, and I think I, I, I we saw that. Uh, let's see, last year at Origins, we did a um, a workshop on on dungeon creation, and at one point in the workshop, like every group, every table, I mean, we had these tables set up with people at them. Each table created a, a dungeon encounter, and it was interesting how every group made something that was really driven by by role playing or or a puzzle. No one created like here's the tactical challenge. I just thought that was really interesting because a lot of times you think dungeon, you think oh yeah, it's like, yeah. like you talked about, it's room to room it's like tactical dungeon fighting. Crawl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like one of the ones that stood out, like you know, there was one group that came up with this idea that you come into this room and it was a room that would had a trap in it, but this fire giant has triggered the trap and he's trapped in it, but he also has the treasure that the trap was guarding with him because you know like he, mm. you know the idea is like you go to get the treasure, you grab it, oh that this this trap goes off, so it's like. How do you deal with this? Like, there's this guy. Do you want the treasure? You're talking to the giant, and I just, oh yeah, that's great. And that to me, it's you know that kind of thing. I think makes dungeons a lot more interesting. But then I go back to for me that issue I have of okay, I have this interesting role playing encounter, but then right down the hallway, what's there? And how do these things all like the the interconnections are so much more obvious. And I think there's actually a lot more to track when you're running a big dungeon than when you're running something that's more episodic, where like things carry only carry over from session to session only if they're important. You know, in the dungeon, like everything carries over, right? You have to answer, like, well, what's in this room now, if anything? You know, you have well, I mean, you have that mentality that's been produced because of older Dungeons and Dragons players, and then newer video game players, where it's like we can't leave the room alone. There's something in the room, like yeah, it just <laughs> is what it is. Like, there's no way that's an empty room. And if we leave it, was it the key that we needed on the next level? Was it the map that we could find? Is it the NPC we should know? It's just like. There's this mentality in the back of everyone's mind that if there's a room, I have to go in it. Yeah, exactly. Because I tr- I don't trust my dungeon master. They put something <laughs> in there that will come up behind us when we leave. Uh, so going with this, I think that like definitely it is it is a difficult thing if you have players that are more focused on role playing. And maybe that's that's the difficulty in like we as dungeon masters, if we are focused more on role playing, if we have players who are, this can be a big challenge is making a dungeon. If you want to make a ginormous dungeon, something that is engaging to a role style role playing style group. Neil, I know that you have been for over a year now, correct? Uh, running mm-hmm. a huge dungeon for your group. And so, I mean, what do you guys, if there's any advice that you guys would would give, or maybe even advice of things not to do for that style of group to make that dungeon engaging? What are some things that, and maybe we've never done it perfectly, but what what would you tell say to dungeon masters out there? How do you make a giant dungeon engaging? Well, I know for me, it's, and I've tried to focus on it more lately because I think those early levels, it's difficult to kind of really figure out what people want their players to be. But now that we're kind of in the five to six, five, seven range, then I think they understand who they want to be and I can start integrating their background more into the dungeon. In a lot of ways, the dungeon just is the dungeon and you're in that tactical element. It's just going to exist. They're going to have to get through it because it's just there. But flavoring in things like that and then digging deeper into some of the really weird, interesting NPC connections that they've created is another thing. So essentially building that tactical frame and then putting story elements inside of it. And there are like a rough through line through the whole thing, which I I think is also important. I mean, if it's just level two and it was only ever level two, I think you'll lose a little bit um, 
you know, if there's no continuation of the story, it's literally just level two, level three, level four. I think um, that can get old for the players. Every time they defeat a level, I also have them spend time not being in the dungeon. Cool. Going back to town and... Or even not even not that anymore because they've did, of course, you know, we heard when we talked about um, building bases, they took over one of the levels of the dungeon because of course they did. That's what players do. Cool. <laughs> but the last downtime session they had, they actually had just got done taking it over and invited NPCs from town to come like have a housewarming party. <laughs> and of course I attacked them in the middle of the party. Um, but, but, and that even made the, the NPC connections richer and just figuring out, okay, so what does it mean to defend our base? That means we should strengthen this, strengthen that, spend money here, spend money there. But every single time that they're out, I have something else happen. And sometimes if someone's up for it, I have someone else run a session so I can hmm. break. Cool. You know, Mike, you talked about making a dungeon and not thinking of it as like too often, especially if it's something that we're not 100% have mapped out and have prepared for. You put it down and it's like, oh, it's it's an empty room with a couple monsters in the middle. And I haven't thought much more beyond that. Um, but I think I think too often when we think dungeons as dungeon masters, we do think about that classic, all right, I've got the dungeon map in front of me. It's these square rooms and like you go from this room to this room and you almost in your head just kind of have the same stone wall, like a couple of torches in our head idea of what a dungeon is. And I think that's something if we want to make engaging dungeons, we need to move away from. Maybe that's how the dungeon starts, but you can have dungeons in ice caverns. You can have it inside of volcanoes. You can, and I, I mentioned this early on, but like Dead and Thay, when I look at that map, I see a ton of different types of terrains, yeah. a ton of different types of environments. And if you're making a giant dungeon and you're just saying it is all stone walls, torches on the walls, like barrels in the corner. Like you want to get more into describing and coming up with reasons why, even if you want to get into the mechanical reasons of different ways that a different area of a dungeon is going to affect your player groups. Yeah. I think playing with the environments is a really good way, especially within a dungeon itself. If, if that's really what dead and Fay, where I think it really works is each section of the dungeon. feels very distinct. You know, so you feel like you're making some real progress, and it also provides a lot of that variety. Because uh, I think that's the key, right, is to make it so that you feel like there's a progression in what you're seeing. And you really do want to go around the corner or down the stairs to the next level because you want to see what, what's going to come next. You know, it's just not the same thing over and over again. You know, another trick I like uh, doing, too, is kind of take that same same thing of like you know you're varying your train and then really like will vary the relationship of like what's going on in the dungeon you know like so for instance i ran a a, a dungeon where the sort of big bad guy had just been killed you know like the sort of person in the boss of the of the dungeon had it was a wizard he did this experiment it went horribly wrong he's dead and now all the monsters it's like a civil war they're all fighting for control of his treasure so when the players come into that situation, it's a much different thing than, like, oh, it's the evil guy at the bottom of the dungeon. He's sending his minions up against <laughs> us. It's like, no, everyone's, you know, fighting against each other. And some of the groups are like, you know, it's the cooks and the wait staff, like, you know, the servants, they just want to get out alive, right? <laughs> like things like yeah. that. And then it's like, you know, the orcs who are just mercenaries who just want to get paid. So they're working for like, you know, the ogre mage because he's paying them now. 
but can the players, you know, turn them against each other, things like that. You know, here's the area of the dungeon where these people just want to be left alone. You know, it's like the apprentice wizard who's like this sort of like eccentric, you know, I just want to, I'm working on inventing a new type of potion. I don't care. I'm just going to barricade myself in here. Just leave me alone. You know, things like that. So you get more of that cast of characters coming to the forefront. So we're talking about giant dungeons. We're talking about huge dungeons for a campaign. I think along with that, beyond just the regular idea of regular dungeons of, oh, there's going to be monsters in it, with a dungeon of that size, there comes along maybe some different dangers for a campaign-long dungeon. What are those dangers that you can have your players encounter with a dungeon of such a great size? Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, is always interesting to me about the giant dungeon is the idea that it, since it is an enclosed environment, the players can watch it evolve. Like you can have you know the thing where the players think they know how the dungeon works, and then the drow tunnel up into the dungeon from from below, and now suddenly this area that they thought they had cleared is filled with a new threat. Yes. Or, you know, creatures that were once friendly are now turning against them, you know, things like that. Because that is the one strength of, you know, you've got this map, it's a finite space, so what becomes interesting is when things change, those are much more apparent and I think a lot more interesting to the players. You know, and I think it's also key to keep that element of surprise. So it isn't just, oh, we, you know, we've been through this area of the dungeon, or we know the green dragon lives on level five, so we just don't go there. What happens <laughs> if the green dragon starts wandering around the dungeon, right? Like, it's, you know, things like that. Well, yeah, now it doesn't have to fight anybody. It's like, hey, look at all this free range. Yeah, free range. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, right? You might start getting ambitions, right? And then I always like, through a dungeon for me is a good excuse for, for fun traps. I, I love those Indiana Jones style trap things. They also come with a great story, you know, uh, explanation of like, Hey, why is this area of the dungeon totally undisturbed for us to go through? Well, there's all these traps that were guarding it. No one else was able to figure out how to overcome. So when the characters get through it, then you get to have like the ancient tomb or whatever, or the undead that have been undisturbed for a hundred years, things like that. <laughs> the, uh, and I always like that feeling of like discovery, you know, like the, the, the dusty, you know, sarcophagus, like you're the first person to touch this mm-hmm. since it was sealed shut 500 years ago. Like, what horrors are in it, you know, things like that. The uh, That sort of sense of, like, you know, the mysterious and the unknown, I think that's always really fun to play with in, in a big dungeon. You know, that, that dusty forgotten chamber or that, that secret door that no one's found and you're the first ones to open it, you know, like, because then you get to bring in, like, the old, you know, like, really, like, weird and out there monsters that you otherwise might not normally use. You know, like, the gelatinous cubes, great example, right? It wouldn't yes. work anywhere else except in a dungeon with 10 foot by 10 foot corridors, right? <laughs> Oh, you drop it from above. Yep. That, no, you have a then you have a pit trap that they fall into, and then the gelatinous cube slides out of the ceiling because the third dimension is the scariest thing for players. Exactly. Yes, I like how you think. That's awesome. I think probably one of the biggest threats is kind of. I know Neil, you were saying, oh, I take my adventurers back into town every now and then, mm-hmm. but that danger is once you leave, like you said, Mike. Like who's to say that yep. in a realistic world in a realistic dungeon that that area is not going to fill back up again and be even more of a problem at that point and what if you can't even escape what if part of the trap was the door closed behind you and now you're stuck in this giant dungeon with seemingly no way out like that in itself makes a huge and scary danger so I hope that you've enjoyed our discussion uh, with having Mike here talking about dungeons and the dangers of these giant dungeons and maybe giving some inspiration how to make these giant dungeons engaging for your world. Mike, if our listeners would like to uh, reach out, maybe they have a question for you regarding dungeons, maybe specifically even about Yawning Portal, where can they reach you at? 
Sure. The uh, best place to reach me is on Twitter. My username there is Mike Merles. It's all one word, no spaces. And I try to be good about answering questions, though lately I've been kind of busy and I've been kind of eh, letting that pile up a little bit. So He doesn't answer because he doesn't love you. He answers because he is busy <laughs> making great content for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us on the show. Yes, thank you. Cool. Thanks for having me. We hope to have you back sometime in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to record the show and, and have me on. If you'd like to get in touch with us and you can't be restricted by 140 characters, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you want to show some extra love and get your review read on air, you can head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, which, like I said, we will read on a later episode. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's DMs block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are great places to go if you want updates about the show, D&D memes, polls, all that crazy goodness. We have a Patreon member shoutout of the week. And this week's Patreon member shoutout goes to... Bonnie Bogazinski! Thank you. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Bonnie is a bronze dragon. So, Neil, Bonnie gets to listen to any of our bonus content. Thank you so much. We appreciate that support. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad Adventuring, and more to come. And that's it for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where you come to hear about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. Neil, have your child say goodbye. Can you say keep on Dungeon Mastering? No. Oh, can you say goodnight? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good night and good luck. <laughs> Keep on dungeon mastering. Good job. That's staying in there for sure. <laughs>